privilege coming into your homes. We celebrate life, resurrection, and I see Chris is here. And Chris, would you like to give us a little update on that wonderful wife's condition? Many have been asking, and and this is uh, Chris's first uh, appearance. You want to grab that mic? You can come up here or grab that mic. I think. Hi, Angel. Father, we just come in Jesus' name, and we thank you for Chris and Katie, and we thank you for Chris's daughter here today, and she possesses the best, the best of Chris and Katie, and we thank you, Father, as we remember Katie in our thoughts and prayers and the near-death experiences that she's been having, and we also pray this morning for Joyce Peters, who really needs a touch of God, and they won't be with us today, known on Mike, and We had a great celebration of her birthday last Sunday when it seemed like all hell was breaking out in Brooklyn Center. We also pray for Claudia this morning. We just got a text that she's not doing very well. She took a very severe fall. She would have been with us. We pray, Father, that those by way of television that are in need of prayer, we thank you for our Sunday morning Bible study that met from 9 or 8.45 to 9.45, and, and now as we go into worship, we pray for those by way of television that may have experienced difficulties. We pray for the chaos that's been going on in our world for the last six months. We come against that form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. We take authority in Jesus' name. We pray for those who are not with us today through various circumstances in life. We pray for our television audience and radio and Facebook and other means of communication that we would we would truly look at Jesus as, as the I am, the resurrection and the life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And did you have anything else that you'd like to share? Chris's daughter, is your first name Angel? Michelle, okay. Amen. So at this time, we'd like you to stand as we turn to our opening hymn, Come Ye Faithful, Red Hymnals, number 164, please.
before we turn to pray and prayer and before you sit down, I'd like to call upon Paul. Uh, Paul is one of our greatest supporters from many miles. Chris, would you like to make the presentation and give that to Paul? We want to give you a little uh, token of our appreciation of your prayer support and your financial support. So Paul is one of the favorite children of Janet. Thank you. Let's give Paul a round of applause all the way from California. Amen. Thank you. Let us uh, be seated and let us uh, go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we just want to thank you for opening our service up here uh, nearly an hour ago at 8.45 for our Sunday school class, and we thank you for blessing it. It was one of the most exciting Sunday school class, uh, biblically speaking, that we've had. And I thank you for a member of our church, for Mike, and, and he uh, was very well prepared. He had everything documented, and we, we thank you for Mike and Tina and their tremendous impact that they make on this church. We thank you for Paul Peterson and his faithfulness of remembering all of it and his prayers and his financial support. And we thank you for those who are viewing by way of television that that pray for all of it, United Methodist Church, and send financial contributions in so that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. For we serve a very holy God, and we continue to hold on to the celebration and the triumph and triumph of Easter. And as we look back over the, the past year, we realize that many of, many of us can identify with Thomas's doubt, can we, can we be the church, the body of Christ, which we can't see the body gathered in the sanctuary. Yet Christ has opened our eyes to his risen body that can't be confined by walls and is not diminished by, and as we make our gifts of, of our time and our worship and our presence here, all but United Methodist Church, we remember those by way of airways and radio and television and YouTube and Facebook, and we affirm the resurrection power that we have seen and so we say again, hallelujah, in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ. We pray as we pray God's blessings upon our scripture this morning. Those who are viewing by way of television can follow along in Luke chapter 24, verses 36 and following. We thank you, Father, for the Bibles. And if there may be anybody by way of television or radio or Facebook or YouTube or other means that does not have a Bible to follow along, may they let us know and we'll supply them with a Bible. Bless the reading of Luke chapter 24, verses 36 and following. And we ask, Father, that you administer to us. Be with Katie and be with Joyce and be with Claudia and many others, Father, that need a prayer. We pray for God's divine protection upon our law enforcement, the lawlessness that seems to permeate our land. May we stand for our military and our law enforcement that's a true to turn towards the move of Satan. We come against any principality and power and force. We come against any lawlessness and criminal behavior. We thank you, Father, for the freedoms that we experience and we see them being diminished in so many areas. We come against the phony fake news that permeates our airways and help us to rightly discern many things that are occurring in our country and particularly in our own backyards as we see criminal behavior on the increase spirit of lawlessness we realize that in the last days this will increase where people call 
lawlessness, right? And Father, we just pray that from the pulpits of our churches, proclamation would be made that we need to serve God and God first, to seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. For these things we pray as you've taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The reading of God's word according to Luke chapter 24, verses 36 and following. Do we have any volunteers this morning? If God leads you in any way to... Um, want to volunteer their reading of scripture or participation during our worship service, we, we do appreciate that. But let us turn now to Luke chapter 24, verses 36 and following, please. And I did remind you that if there are those who may not have a Bible, we... Um, Provide vital Bibles for those who um, do not have Bibles, the Word of God, because we really believe that it's very important for people not only to hear the Word of God being read, but to follow along from their Bibles. Luke chapter 24, verses 36 and following, and Mike, would you please come? Jesus appears to his disciples. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Say it with me. Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. Jesus said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy, say joy with me, joy, they were disbelieving and, and still wondering. And he said to them, have you anything here to eat? I believe that um, Jesus was a true Methodist. All Methodists, one of the first questions they asked, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and Jesus took it and ate in their presence. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses prophets and the psalms must be fulfilled and then jesus opened their mind could you say it with me jesus open my mind jesus open my mind today then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them thus it is written that the savior the messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead and on the third day rise and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name the name of Jesus to all nations beginning from Jerusalem and extending to Robin's Day and, and the outermost parts of the earth. You are witnesses of these things and see I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power, power from on high. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his Good morning brothers and sisters. Good morning Mike. I did a different passage and my, uh, my sermon is going to be on Matthew chapter 24 to verse 15 through 22. 
I'll just read it again. When the Pharisees went and took counsel how to entangle him in his talk, they sent his disciples to them, along with Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and care for no man. Do not regard the position of men. Tell us, then, what you think. Is it lawful to pay tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the money for the tax. And they brought him a coin. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Render to Caesar what is the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard that, they marveled, and they left him and went away. My scriptures throw out today with the Pharisees, disciples, and Herodians seeking to trip Jesus up verbally with one question. This was kind of an unlikely duel, Pharisees and Herodians, because they didn't really get along. Herodians wished to promote and sometimes force the views of King Herod onto the people. The Pharisees' disciples, they weren't the Pharisees, they were the Pharisees' Pharisaic disciples, were sent because if they failed to trip Jesus up with a question, the real Pharisees would not lose any face with the public. The Herodians also supported King Herod because of his alliance with the Romans and so the Herodians were otherwise in contact with the Pharisees. That's where the friction was. The Herodians wanted the Roman tax, and the Pharisees did not. They started the question a personal, with a personal lie when they met up with Jesus. Said, said, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, which they didn't believe. They thought no such way. Pharisees had resumed counterattacking Jesus from chapter 21, verses 23 through 27. Their aim was to destroy Jesus' influence. They wanted to discredit him publicly in front of crowds and cause him to make a royal mistake verbally that would get him in trouble with the Roman government. They thought of a question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? If his answer was yes, then he'd claim Jesus' inclusion with the Romans. They didn't like the Romans. And if the answer was no, that would put him directly in opposition with the Roman government. That authority would name him the leader of a revolution. Jesus not only knew what they were doing, but he knew why they were doing it. Jesus questioned their ability to, and motivation. He asked them one question, and he called them hypocrites. He called them hypocrites because they feared they had the flung robes and the jewels, and they appeared to others and talked holier than thou. Internally, though, their motivations and intentions were evil because of the false sense of superiority and their desire get rid of Jesus. That way, all the opposite uh, religious uh, traits would go away. And that leader of that opposite religion was Christ. He asked Roman, he asked, Jesus asked for Roman money. What do you pay tax with? Let me see it. He grabbed the coin, he held up, he said, whose portrait is this? And the answer was, Caesar's. Then he said something. Jesus said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. This answer was brilliant, because he noted the authority of the Roman government and the ruling they had over money. But it also notified and let people know about God's authority, which is not the Romans. The brilliance of his answer lies in the discernment of what belongs to whom. I'm going to reference, look this up, Matthew chapter 6, six verse 1. The questioners didn't know what to do, and they walked away from Jesus frustrated. They were both humbled and perplexed. Jesus' answer there exemplifies how we should live our lives how we should think in our lives, and what, how we value and treasure our own possessions, what we have, what we own, the car we drive, the house we live in. They may be highly valued and treasured for us up here, but they should not 
and have no business being here in your heart. If your possessions or your money, whatever you have, takes precedence in your attention over God, it's wrong. They should never be valued above or placed before our value and reverence to Father God. If money is indeed the root of all, all evil, it's because it's what you can buy with it, what you can get with it. What you want and what you have can supersede the attention and desire you have to worship the living God. That's why it's called the root of all evil, because it distracts us away from God and puts our minds and our wants, our needs here on earth. I need that car. I need that house. Oh, if I could just have that steak. They're not sinful by themselves, but when we look at them and put them before God, then they are sinful. Nothing on earth can or should replace the focus, importance, and ruling authoritative preeminence of God in our lives. Would you stand with me for a word of prayer, please? Thank you, Mike. Father, we want to stand on your promises of your word this morning. Recently, I came across information that reminds us of a worldwide state of chaos that is occurring the last six months. A study that represented that 6% of Americans, only 6% follow a biblical worldview. And according to this new study led by the noted Christian pollster George Bono, only 6% of Americans adhere to a, a biblical worldview, while 88% borrow from multiple and sometimes contradictory worldviews in order to form their beliefs and and habits. I thank you this morning that for individuals such as the Peterson family, and we thank you for Paul, who not only supports our church, but he supports it all the way from the West Coast. And we recognize him periodically. We recognize people that have traveled many miles to be with us. And Father, we recognize that the American Worldview Inventory of 2021 conducted in February among representative samples of thousands of adults by Barna and the Cultural Research Center, Arizona Christian University, found that most prevalent belief system for Americans is kind of synchronistic. They want to believe what they want to believe. It's a culture of cut and paste approach to making sense of and responding to life. And while the study comprised seven worldviews, the biblical theism, biblical theism, or the biblical worldview, is in contrast to the secular humanism or this postmodernism or the moralistic therapeutic deism or nihilism or Marxism, along with critical race theory and Eastern mysticism or New Age. The big winner, of course, was none of the above. Barna said in a news release announcing the study results that in total almost 9 out of 10 U.S. adults, 88%, have an impure, unrecognizable worldview that is blending of ideas from multiple perspectives. And often respondents lean towards a particular worldview more than others, and, but only 12% would be considered adherents of one specific worldview, meaning both beliefs and behavior corresponded to a given belief system. And among all the seven major worldviews cited, the biblical worldview of 6% was the most prevalent. However, with 94% of Americans essentially almost rejecting the 
the biblical view. Father, may we this morning truly represent the biblical view of Christ. We are here to learn from you and to discern the truth so that we can apply it in our lives, that we're not only talking the truth, but we're walking the truth. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I know many of you, by way of television, just appreciate that we can come into your homes and you appreciate the fact that we present to you not a worldview, but a biblical view. I would back away from this pulpit if I would give you Randy Tabor's personal view. I'm always, rather than outside my body, inside my body and presenting a biblical view. I stand for the flag. I believe in God. I believe in country. And as we observe this portion of scripture today, we, we observe in this passage the singular. It's a singular gracious words and in which our Lord introduced himself to his disciples after his resurrection. Singular means only one way, folks. It's not criminal. We see criminals being idolized as angels in our day and age. We see a form of lawlessness that's going on in the world today and especially in our own communities. We read that Jesus suddenly, say it with me, suddenly, suddenly stood in their midst of them and said, peace, peace be unto you. Say it with me, peace be unto you. The world, our land in which we live in, the neighborhood in which we live in. I never believed that being kind of a naive country boy coming down to the city that I could, couldn't have my windows open and, and listen to uh, shots being fired. Going down to the end of my block and finding casing, nine millimeter casing. We live in a completely different world these last six months, folks. Face it. Don't be in denial. This here portion of scripture was a wonderful saying when we consider those to whom it was initially being addressed. And it's addressed to you and I. We can apply this today, folks. It was addressed to 11 disciples. Jesus started out with 12. He ended up with 11. And it was addressed to these 11 disciples who th three days before had shamefully, they had shamefully forsaken their master and they had shamefully fled. They had broken their promises. They had broken their profession of, of, of faith and their profession of readiness. How ready are you, oh, you to profess Christ and live out the Christian life? And these 11 had forgotten their professions of readiness to do what their faith required. They, they had scattered. They had scattered everyone to their own. And le they left their master Jesus to die alone. And one of them who was possibly in the inner circle of three, one of them even denied Jesus three times, Peter. And yet... All of them had proved backsliders. They had proved themselves to be cowards. And yet behold the return which their master makes to his disciples. Not a word of rebuke. Not a word of rebuke had Jesus spoken to them. Not a single sharp saying falls from the lips of Jesus. But very calmly, calmly and quietly, Jesus appears in the midst of them. And he begins speaking of peace. Peace. Peace be unto you. And how we need peace from the top down. How we need peace. We need this today. We see in this touching saying, saying one more proof that the love of Christ passes all understanding, passes all knowledge. That in his glory, 
he could have passed a form of transgression, but Jesus delighteth in mercy. Jesus delights in mercy currently, but he's coming. He's going to switch from mercy to judgment. He is far more willing to forgive than we are to even be forgiven, yet, and yet more, more ready to pardon we as we are able to pardon ourselves. And there is in Jesus' almighty heart an infinite willingness to put, put away any forms of transgressions. If you are viewing by way of television or listening by way of radio or YouTube or Facebook, all you have to do is say, the ABCs of salvation are A, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God from pulpit to pew. We need to B, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we need to C, confess. Confess him as our Lord and Savior. And this Jesus, though our sins have been as scarlet, he's ever ready to make them as white as snow, to blot them out, to cast them behind his back, to bury them in the depths of the sea, to remember them no more. All these are scriptural phrases intended to convey the same, the same, the same great truth. The natural person, the natural mind, is continually stumbling at them and refusing to understand them because the God, the God of this world, the prince of darkness, is the prince and the ruler of this world, the fallen angels. Our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but but against principalities and powers and forces here upon earth. We need to understand this, and we need not wonder. Free will, free, full, and undeserved forgiveness to the very uttermost is the manner of Jesus Christ. It's not the manner of humanity, but it's the manner of Jesus Christ's forgiveness. Where is a sinner, however great, great their sins, who need be afraid of beginning to apply to such a Savior as this? That in the hand of Jesus... In the hand of Jesus, there is enough mercy, and there is mercy to spare. Where is the backslider, however far they may have fallen, who need to re- the ability, the strength to return to Christ? Isaiah, the 27th chapter, the fourth verse, reminds us that fury, fury is not in the Messiah. Fury is not in the Christ. Jesus is willing to raise us up, to restore us to the, the very best those who are the very worst and the very best. And where is the saint who ought not to love such a Savior and to pay Jesus willingly for his holy, holy obedience? There is forgiveness. There is forgiveness of Jesus. Recently, just this past week, one of my best ministerial friends, my age, pastors at local United Methodist Church in Fridley, Minnesota, a number of weeks ago he had resuscitated his son, his son who had died, walked into his room, lifeless body, did CPR, resuscitated his son, Eli. One of the twins, Eli and Isaac, one was a super achiever, the other was just kind of laid back. But last Sunday, Eli took his life. Yesterday, they had the funeral service. We pray for this family, the Reverend Wayne Watson family. The great assault is upon Christians now. The lack of communication, the lack of care and empathy among Christians. Christians are are under attack, not only by non-Christians, but by Christians. And the world looks at us and says, if the Christians can't get along, and why do I want to become a Christian then? Here we find in the scripture that Christians who ought to be forgiving of their brethren, the disciples of Jesus 
whose words were so full of peace ought to be peaceful, gentle, and easy to be entreated, according to Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. We should observe for another thing in this passage, our Lord's marvelous, marvelous, marvelous condescension to the infirmity of his, his disciples. We read that when Jesus' disciples were terrified at his appearance and could not believe that it was Jesus, that it truly was Jesus, he said, behold, behold my hands and feet, handle me, handle me and see. I hope this morning if you have a particular need that you can reach out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to be touched by thee. One of the earliest prayers we find in the Old Testament, and we studied this for a number of weeks in our Wednesday night Bible study, it was a prayer of Jabez. Jabez, the word Jabez itself means born in pain. But God took that pain and put a short prayer in the Old Testament, and the prayer of Jabez was, bless me. Bless me, O Lord, enlarge my territory so that I can reach out and touch, because as I bless others, as I minister unto others, I'll be ministered to myself. May the hand of God be upon me. May no sin, sorrow, sickness, sadness, suffering, evil or pain encounter me and my loved ones. And then may I cause no sin, sorrow, sickness, suffering, pain or sorrow or evil or pain to anybody else. We should observe for another thing in this passage the Lord's marvelous condescension to the infirmity of his disciples, his followers. We read that when Jesus' disciples were terrified at his appearance and could not believe that this was truly Jesus, he said, behold my hands and my feet, see me, touch me. Our Lord might fairly have commanded his disciples to believe. He could have said, commanded them to believe in his resurrection. But Jesus might justly have said, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Jesus could have said, why do you not believe in my resurrection? He could have said, when you see me, can't you believe me? But he appeals. He appeals to the bodily sense of the 11. The bodily sense of the 11. Jesus bids his 11 to touch him with their own hands and to satisfy intensely their material, their material being, and not a spirit and not a ghost. And this is a mighty principle. Let you truly discern and understand that this is a mighty principle that is contained in this circumstance, which we shall do well to store up in our hearts. Our Lord permits us to use our senses in testing a fact in the assertion of our religion. Things about our reason we must expect to find in Christianity. But things contrary to our reason and contrary to our own senses, our Lord would have us to know that we are not meant to believe in a doctrine which came from Jesus who bade the eleven to touch his hands, to touch his feet. Let us remember this principle in dealing with the certain Roman or cultic doctrines that change the bread and the wine into the Lord's Supper. There is no such change at all. Our, our own eyes and our own tongues tell us that the bread is still the bread and the wine is still the wine after consecration as well as before. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Our Lord never requires us to believe that which is contrary, contrary to our senses. The doctrine of 
Transubstantiation is therefore very false and very unscriptural. Let us remember this principle in dealing with the, 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 the Romanist doctrine of baptism or regeneration. There is no, no inseparable connection between baptism and the new birth of one's heart. Our own eyes and our senses tell us that, that multitudes, myriads is, of baptized people who have not the Spirit of God are utterly without grace and, and are servants of the devil and servants of the world. Our, our Lord never requires us to believe that which is contrary to our senses, contrary to our senses. The doctrine that regeneration invariably accompanies baptism is therefore undeserving of our credit. It is a mere anti-nomalism to say that there is grace where there is no grace to be with. You are to raise, you are to provide the genetic and the environmental influence, raising that child as Jesus was raised in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, as the scripture says, that a mighty practical lesson is, is involved in our Lord's dealing with the disciples, which we shall do well to remember that that lesson is the duly doctrine of dealing gently with weak disciples and teaching them as they are able to bear. And like our Lord, we must be patient. Like our Lord, we must be long-suffering. Like our Lord Jesus Christ, we must condescend to the feebleness of some person's little faith and treat them as tenderly as little children in order to bring them into the right spiritual way. We must not cast off others because they do not see everything at once, scriptural understanding. I was talking to a group of people just a, a few days ago, and we were talking about the mark of the Antichrist on the hand or the forehead, and, and one gentleman sent back a, a picture of his, his palm, and he had acquired a number of scratches on his palm, and he said, is this the mark of the Antichrist? I said, you'll know the mark of the Antichrist because you willingly will participate in that mark in the last days. We must not cast off others because they do not see everything at once. We must not despise the humblest and the most childish means if we can only persuade men and women, boys and girls to truly believe. Much dealing may require, much patience is required, but, but the one who cannot condescend to deal thus with the young and the ignorant and the uneducated has not the mind of Christ. Well would it be for all believers if they would remember St. Paul's words more frequently to the weak, became I weak, that I might gain the weak. Father, this morning with every head bowed and eye closed and those by way of television or radio or Facebook, other means, we are not told in what manner our Lord entered the room where the disciples were. We, we know from John's words that the, the doors were shut. John chapter 20, verse 19. In fear of the Jews, in fear of the Jews, the disciples were hiding. And whether our Lord passed through the door miraculously without opening them or whether he opened it miraculously as the angel did when he brought Peter out, of the prison, we cannot tell, according to Acts 12.10. In either way, there was a miracle. In any case, the appearance was sudden and, and was instantaneous. And when he said, peace, peace be unto you, I'm, I'm quite unable to 
regard this expression as being nothing more than the ordinary salutation of courtesy. It seems to me to be full of deep and comfortable truth, implied that the great battle was fought and, and the great victory was over, the prince of this world and the prince, the peace with God obtained, human beings according to the old promise. It implied that our Lord ate, ate with his disciples with a peaceful, a gracious, and a forgiving feeling with no resentment for their having forsaken him. And let it be noted that peace was the last word in the saying of the hymn of Zacharias, peace on earth. Father, we have many people that need peace in their heart. They may be talking, Jesus. They may be talking, Jesus, but they're not walking, Jesus. We come against this riotous spirit that's breaking, raising its deadly head in many areas of our country, the spirit of lawlessness. And we know, Lord, that it will be on the increase in the last days. Help us not to be a part of this riot, this lawlessness, this chaos, but help us to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. With every head bowed and every eye closed, may we say this prayer. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your love that sent yourself to the cross for me. Forgive my sins, O Lord. Come to my heart and life. Be my Lord and Savior. Help me to be the light and the salt. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We remind you of the cards that are being sent out at the back of the church and you want to um, place your name on the cards. Let us turn to our offertory prayer before we turn to our, our closing hymn. Would you pray with me? Mighty God, who brings life and hope out of death and despair. Help us hear the invitation Christ offered to the disciples. Touch me and see. Make us bold to grab hold of the risen Christ, not for this day, but for all our days. May we offer our gifts this morning, not to the church historic, the church that was, but to a church that is becoming, that is still being born, that Christ will bring into the future. May our eyes and ears and hearts continue to hold on to him as we help Christ lead his church forward. In his name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me now as we turn to our offertory hymn, O Soul, Are You Weary? Red Hymnals, number 252, please. And Mike, did you want to join our praise group? Gina, you want to come up?
Join me in the doxology. Father, may we be peacemakers. For Almighty God of the resurrection power, we so desperately need that peace and that hallelujah morning. We, we have lived with death and destruction and chaos for these last few months. We have been trapped in our tombs so long we could not be more anxious to hear the report of peace. And even Mary, who said, I have seen the Lord. We know in our hearts that you have been with us through all the past year has handed us and we have seen you in the generosity of the hearts that have brought us through these days. As we give back to you this day, bless these tithes and offerings and may we do as those convinced that light will always wash away darkness and life will always defeat death. In the name of our risen Christ and Savior we pray, amen. If you have any announcements you'd like to make, um, come front and center and share on the mic. So we um, want to remind you of the um, announcements in the bulletin and also um, Harriet Clifford um, Hansen passed away. Harriet Hansen's going to be a part of that funeral service tomorrow and on Tuesday and then in at Fort Snelling on Friday and in Margot Rising um, Memorial Service. Um, information is placed in the bulletin for you um, to um, get a hold of Margot and for many of you, um, Margot um, is... Um, was our former organist, will be a guest organist, and she did a lot of the Christmas specials and that. Any other announcements that we need to be aware of, Mike? Thank you. 